This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Yeah, there's been quite a few um, questions this week about um, sort of what does it look like for me living like Jesus? Um, what is it like? I've already received the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's fine. Um, but what does it look like going back to school? What does it look like in the next couple of weeks as I approach? So I wanted to just share with you a couple of stories um, about my life and about where God's worked um, in me. Um, so the first story actually starts before I was a Christian. I'm not going to go through the whole how I became a Christian, but basically um, there was a lad that I was at school with and uh, sometimes you've got, you got a group of friends, we'll call them friends with quest, uh, quotation marks above. And sometimes in that group, there's one or two people that are a bit fringe. They're on the edge a bit. Um, and in, that, in my group of friends, that lad was called Ben. And actually, he probably didn't feel like one of our friends at a lot of times. Okay? I wasn't a Christian at the time, and actually, I probably was a, actually a bully if I look back at that time. Okay? I would regularly, if we got in trouble, I would make sure that it was him that took the blame rather than me. I would regularly make sure that he got called out. Okay? So we all, we all love it when we're with our mates and we're ripping each other. But every single time, Ben would take the flack. Every single time, we would rib on him and just lay into him. And we were just really horrible to him generally. But he was in all of our classes, and he just wanted to be friends with us. And he was a really nice lad, and never really deserved any of it. But we were just horrible to this guy. Um, and this was up until about year, I think it was the summer of year nine. And it was in that summer that I became a Christian. And when I came back, no one else had changed. No one else's approach to being friends had changed. No one else's... Uh, attitude to but I very re- quickly realized that something in me had changed because actually this lad who had been on the outside of our friendship group I suddenly just felt really heartbroken for him I felt really sorry for him and actually started to stand up for him and something as simple as saying that's not cool don't say that made me stand out from all of our group of mates. Okay, it made me stand out from our entire class. And that was just one small thing that I did after I became a Christian. One small thing that God had changed in me was that me want to love people more. And all we have to do to show Jesus' love in that situation, which I'm sure loads of you are aware of at school, is to say, that's not cool. And to walk away with that person. That lad is now one of my best friends. Okay, I'm really, really good friends with Ben. And every time I go home, I make sure I see him. I make sure I chat with him. And he's one of my inner circle friends. He's one of the guys that I really can talk to and know. And he knows intimate things about me. And I only have that because of what Jesus did in me. The second story I want to tell you about sort of culture and growing up is a time when I was at university. And... um, I don't know, how many, people, how many people raise your hand if you do? Quite a few, quite a few. When I was growing up, for me, sports was just something I loved to do. I just loved to run and 
kick balls and run into people and get muddy and get tired. I just loved it. Um, but when I became a Christian, I, it, my sporting habits never changed. It wasn't really affected by anything. And it was only really when I got to university um, and I met this guy called Pete. And he ran uh, a group called Christians in Sport. And this guy, Pete, started to talk to me about, actually, how my rugby playing could be to God. It could be um, a place where I can show Jesus' love. And this was really alien to me because don't you just turn up and play and then go home? What this guy was saying was that actually Jesus wants that part of my life as well. He doesn't want me to just turn up and play rugby and go home. He wants me to worship him on the rugby pitch. Now, what does that look like? In many sports, there's this thing called gamesmanship. Anyone anyone know what gamesmanship is? Go on, what is it? That sportsmanship is slightly different. Gamesmanship is where you sort of make sure that the other team is at a disadvantage while the ref doesn't see it. So it's things like when you've tackled someone, giving them a little one of them just so the ref can't see it. Or it's when you're at a scrum, kneeling down at the prop's legs and giving him a pinch in the back of the calf. Stuff like that is called gamesmanship. And what he was saying to me was, Actually, Jesus wants me to be honest on the pitch. Jesus wants me to to play like he would play rugby. He also wants me to be a part of that rugby club. He wants me to be a part, and I'm going somewhere with this, so if you're not a rugby player, uh, useful for you as well. He wants me to be a part of that club. He wants me to be really good friends with these lads. And in sports clubs, there's quite a big bravado culture In men's and women's sports, there's this culture of trying to be the big guy, trying to be the strong guy, trying to be the most macho guy that's getting loads of girlfriends, that's going out partying. That's a massive thing. In the Bible, it talks about us being in the world, but not of the world. And now when I went to university, I had a load of choices to make. And one of them was, do I play rugby or not? Because I knew that that culture was not something that I wanted to be an entire part of. I didn't want to start getting really drunk, start getting into loads of that sort of end of things. I don't need to go into it. You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to get into that. But Jesus wants people to be with those people. Jesus wants you to do what you love and take him with you. If you have a passion or a hobby, but you're afraid of some of the characters that are involved in that, be wise. Don't go and wrap yourself up in it. Okay. Jesus wants you to be in his place, in that place. That makes sense. So if you love chess... Okay, but all of your chess mates are atheists. That's cool. That's just more numbers for you to get into church. Okay, that is just more people that Jesus wants to speak to. 
I really want to challenge you. Think about what it is that you love and take Jesus. That is how this world is changed. It's not changed by us staying in this room. It's not changed by Christians huddling together and praying with each other and talking together. It is changed by us taking Jesus to the places we know and love. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Matt. Um, I'm now going to invite up Joe, who's going to speak to us today, which I'm looking forward to. I've got one question that I want to talk to you about this evening. It's a really simple question, which is handy because I'm a simple girl. Who are you? Who are you? Now, we've talked, other people have talked a little bit this week about who do you want to be? Or who are you called to be? We've been thinking about some of these questions. What might I be called to? What God might be speaking to me about in my future? What might my career be? Where might I live? What sort of life might I live? But that's not the question I want to ask you this evening. I want you to think about who you are right now. Now, to help you a little bit with this, I'm going to tell you something about who I was when I and by your age, there's quite a broad age range in here. So I'm going to give you quite a broad overview of my teenage years. I was not a cool kid. I wasn't. I look out at some of you now and I can see some pretty cool kids here. You're kind of trendy, you've got your nice clothes on, you're looking good, good haircuts. I did not have these advantages in my life. I had like these big plastic glasses. The NHS used to provide glasses even when I was a little girl for free. But they were not cool glasses. Now you can get really nice glasses on the NHS. Oh no, when I was like massive thick plastic things. I really got very bad eyesight. I wear contact lenses now. The world is a better place for that. But I just had terrible, terrible, I really looked bad. I also did not have good hair. I have this kind of curly kind of hair, curly hair. Curly hair can be a challenge in life. And if your mother doesn't have curly hair, then she doesn't know how to teach you to not brush it with a great big hairbrush. Some of you, I could just see your faces, no, you didn't do that. I did that. I was told to brush my hair. I brush my hair every day. Bush. Absolute massive bad hair. And then in the 80s... I won't be too specific about where in the 80s. I'll let you believe it was the very, very late 80s. It was very, very cool to like have a perm, but like this, uh, like a gentle perm, like a nice like ringlets. That, I, I'm not saying that isn't cool now. It was very, very in when I was at school. If you look, were all transported back there now, all you girls would have these cool perms. The lady who lived opposite us on our street was a hairdresser. I actually can't believe I'm telling you this. She was a hairdresser. And I was like, Mom, I really want my perm. I wanted to perm like these like people. And she was like, OK, we'll go and see Lynn. We'll go and see Lynn. You can have a perm. Lynn was an expert in doing old ladies' hair. Old ladies, let me tell you, I don't know really about now, but in the 1980s, they didn't have nice, soft, gentle perms, nice sort of light waves. They had, like, tight curls on their head. 
this did not go well for me. When I came back home after having my hair, I cried. I tried washing my hair about a billion times, thinking maybe that made a difference. It doesn't make any difference. A perm is permanent. <laughs> and I had to go to school with this really bad hair. People started calling me Larry the Lamb, sort of kicking me in the corridors and laughing at me. I was really pathetic. <laughs> I was actually, and perhaps you can understand this by the sad and sorry life I was leading at this time, I was actually really, really shy. Now, anyone who knows me now won't really believe that this is true, but I was actually a really shy kid, really fearful, really insecure, and all these troubles I had with looking really ridiculous didn't add to this. So when I went to high school, this was my strategy, right? I knew I wasn't cool. And there were lots, I went to an all-girls school, and there were lots of girls very, very interested. And the whole school, like there were mirrors everywhere. Not just mirrors in the bathroom, mirrors above the lockers in the corridor. And what girls spent their time doing in between lessons was like preening themselves in the mirrors, checking the makeup, checking the hair. This is how I survived school. I thought, I know I look bad. There's nothing quite this hair, bad hair, bad glasses. I am not cool. Our uniform certainly wasn't cool. Maybe if people think that I don't realise how bad I look, they won't think so badly of me. So my plan is looking in a mirror at school. Because if anyone sees me looking in a mirror, they will know that I know what an idiot I look. And then that actually somehow will feel worse. So that was basically my game plan. I went to school, did not look in the mirrors. Always hoped to have a locker low down. So I never had to like, if I had a locker in the top row, bad news. It looks almost like you're looking in a mirror. And that that was how I coped with my school life. It is sad and pathetic, isn't it? You can all, aren't you so sad and pathetic, Joe? I was, it was bad. As I got a little bit older, some of these areas improved. I got contact lenses. We sort of sorted out the hair I thought, basically. Cut it really short, straightened it a bit, you know, with a hairdryer. We didn't really have hair straighteners back, you know, in the olden days. But you could do it sort of with a hairdryer and a brush. I managed to sort of get things a little bit under control. And consequently, I got a boyfriend. Oh, I know, it's nice, isn't it? I got a boyfriend. He was a little bit older than me and a little bit more experienced in life. And I was actually, I, was, I loved Jesus. I became a Christian when I was four. I perhaps should have mentioned this earlier. I was in a Christian family, had loads of friends in the church. Actually, but a couple of my friends got saved. I really loved Jesus. I shared him with my friends. And when I, got, when I finished my A-levels, I decided I was going to take a gap year. And I was going to serve the church and I was in fact going to go to Bedford and work on this homeless project and um and give a year to to God and doing that we would now call it the impact year we used to call it FP frontier project it used to before that be called FYP frontier year project but people just shortened that to FYP find your partner so they they dropped the Y because it was a bit awkward I already had a partner so it was okay I didn't need to find one and off I went to my year my gap year I had a great time for the first 
two or three weeks and then something happened or should I say something didn't happen something that on a monthly basis ought to happen sorry boys didn't happen it didn't happen because on my year out for the Lord going to another church to serve the homeless and vulnerable working in a house I discovered I was knocked up I am going to say this was one of the most embarrassing things, not the most, but one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened in my life, having to go to the leader of this project and be like, oh, I think we need to talk. I really, really messed up. I really, really messed up. Do you know, I never backslid. That's not the story I'm telling you. I really loved Jesus, but even when we love Jesus, it's for us to really mess up and do things that aren't really smart or good for us. This story does end happily. I am, in fact, married to my boyfriend. We had five kids. They're all here at Devoted today. The littlest one's sitting here. The others are serving in this event or in Amplify. Don't point at your sister. She doesn't want you to. (laughs) We can really sometimes do things that we regret. I'm going to pause there for a second. You see, this question of who we are isn't any with what we look like, who our friends are, or what kind of good or bad things that we do in our life. This question I'm asking of who we are is a much bigger question than that when we add God into the equation. The Bible actually says some really interesting things about who we are. And just so you've got an idea of where we're going, I probably should have started that. I like a plan. I just want to tell you three things briefly this evening, and then we're going to uh, respond to those things. We're going to talk about who we are, how we are that, and why we are the Bible says some really interesting things about who we are. But interesting things about who Jesus is. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you know what it also says? It says that we are the image bearers of him. We're the ones that display Christ in the world. Now, if we just think about who I was back then, who you are right now, some things in what I've just feel like they don't add up with that, because I've just told you that I was a Christian, that I loved Jesus, that I never backslid, although I did make some mistakes. Why would God display his image through some goofy, bad head, big glasses, shy, awkward, definitely sinning teenager? But you know, he did. He did want exactly that, and he does want that. And no matter how cool or not cool, 
no matter how sinning or not sinning are, God's plan is to display his image through you. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I would not have picked me. I would have picked, there were loads and loads of people way above the list. Lou Fellingham, when I, was, when I was a teenager, Lou Fellingham was just starting out. She spoke to us this morning, didn't she, about her singing and her touring. And I remember watching her sing. She was a little bit older than me, only a little bit. A little bit older than me, thinking, wow, she's great. She displays Jesus. I'd have chosen someone like her. But God, he did choose her, but he chose me too. What on earth was he thinking? Well, I tell you, he was thinking very cool things. I'm going to come on to those in a minute. Actually, Paul, do you remember last night Chris was talking to us about Paul or Saul? I'm going to call him Paul now because he was being called Paul. That was the name he was going by when he wrote this. He wrote the book of Romans. And Paul, was, we've just heard how he suffered for the gospel. How he admittedly started off persecuting Christians and, you know, getting them killed. But actually then he had a revelation of Jesus he became a Christian himself and he was persecuted for the gospel. Now, what to read you, he wrote then. He wrote it then when he was being this amazing apostle living for Jesus. This is what he wrote in Romans 7. He wrote this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Can anyone relate to that? I know that I can. I know that teenage me definitely. No matter how in love with Jesus we are, we just don't always do the good things that we want to do. And we really often do the stuff that we don't want to. And how does that leave us feeling? To be quite honest, it leaves us feeling like we're a failure. Do you know, there's all sorts of ways we can fail. We can fail to be ourselves. We can fake it to fit in. That's what I was doing, really. When I was refusing school, I was just trying to fake it to fit in. I wasn't very good at faking it, obviously, but I was trying to. The perm didn't work. Not very good at faking it. Sometimes we fail to achieve the things that we want to do in life. Academically, socially, that was really my issue. Sometimes we can just fail to be kind. What Matt was just sharing with us about being a good, being sportsmanly, not game, what to say, gamesmanship. I don't understand sports. Sometimes we can fail to be the person that we want to be. Sometimes we can fail to be pure. Sometimes we can fail just to believe what God says about us. We all fail all of the time. But does that affect who we are? Well, I want to tell you one thing. The Bible says loads and loads of things about who we are. It says 
In fact, if you were in family worship this morning, Lou said five of them, didn't she? She got those little kids up, cute. Chosen, forgiven, yeah. Accepted. I, I can't remember what the other things she said were. Precious. Loved. Righteous. Justified. Holy. Delighted in. God says all these things about us, but I want to talk to you about one of them. God adopted. Now, this is an interesting word. In our culture, the word adoption has some different connotations to the word adoption in Roman times. In our culture, the word adoption is applied to children, little children usually, under 18s, who are adopted into a family. Why are they adopted? Because they don't have a family of their own. Yes, we understand this concept. For whatever reason, they don't have a family of their own. They're vulnerable. They're in need. And somebody kind them. Now, in biblical times, those kind of children, children who didn't have parents to look after them, would have been cared for. But it wasn't called adopted. Their family just would have cared for them. Their community just would have cared for them. The word adoption was a legal term, meaning something quite different. And in order to explain that to you, I've asked three people to just come up and help me. Joseph. Today you are Roman. I realise he doesn't look very Roman. He hasn't really got the nose for it. There we go. Is that those kind of screws on the top of that? You just come and stand here for me. Joseph is a Roman gentleman. He is a very powerful and rich Roman. He has lots of money, lots of responsibility. He has a big household. He has servants. He has uh, lots and lots of people that he's responsible for. His household maybe is 200 people in his household that he's responsible for. And he's responsible for caring for people in his community. Lots of people rely on him for their livelihood. But he's getting a bit old. He's a little bit worried he's going to die. He's a good man and he cares about the people that he's responsible for. But he knows he's not going to live forever. He has a problem. This is his problem. This is the one who laughed at me. Can we all just make sure we know it was her? (laughs) This is his problem. Although he has a son, we're going to pretend she's a boy, who can inherit his household, this son is a loser. This son is a bit of a waste of space. He's always out getting drunk, causing trouble, doesn't really care about anyone else. Selfish. Selfish son. This son only cares about himself. And Joseph here, he's really worried about what's going to happen when he dies. Because when he dies... His inheritance will go to this son, his firstborn son. Now, he loves his son, but he just doesn't really like him because he's not actually nice. 
And he knows that if he leaves his inheritance to this son, all these people that rely on are going to be in really big trouble because this son's going to drink all the money away and all these people are going to be in really big trouble. But he has the opportunity for a solution. Although he doesn't have another son, he's got this great servant in his household. This young man, pretend again, is of good character. This young man is the sort of person that he would want to continue his empire, that he would want to represent him once he is gone. If this this guy inherits, he knows that this guy is trustworthy to bear his name on through the generation and he won't be ashamed. This is a person he wants to represent him going on into the future generations. And there is something he can do. He can adopt this servant or slave. He can adopt this young man to become his son and to inherit that position instead of the the other one. That's what adoption is. You can sit down, guys. Thank you very much. Let's give them a clap. (laughs) When the Bible talks about us being adopted into God's family, it's not just talking about God's mercy and love to us when we're vulnerable. God does love us and is merciful to us when we're vulnerable, but that's not what that word really means. What that word means is that he has chosen you to represent him. He has chosen you, not you future you, not you one day when you're doing whatever it is you're called to. You right now, you right now, just as you are, once he's chosen to represent him, to be adopted to inherit his kingdom, to be his image bearers. That is a totally different thing, isn't it? That is a responsibility. That is who we are. But if that's who we are, how do we get to be that? Chris spoke to us last night, didn't he? Very clearly outlined the gospel. The great big story of the whole of creation. That God, son, to die for us. To bear the punishment for our sins so that we can be part of his family. But the thing is, I think for lots of you, that's a story you're really familiar with. That's a story that you know. Let me take a momentary detour. Do any of you here play the guitar and sing? Yeah. Who put their hand up then? What's your name? Josh. What's your name? Ethan. I know that one. Sam. Yeah? Ah, very good. And none of you called Ed Sheeran? No? Did did none of them say that? 
playing the guitar doesn't make you Ed Sheeran? I know some of you think it does a little bit. In fact, I had a dream about devotion. I had a bit of a nightmare, actually, before we came, that Alan like, lost his mind a little bit and instead of really leading us in worship, just thought this was like a bit of a pop concert and he like, really thought he was Ed Sheeran. <laughs> what about footballers? Any of you good at football? Yeah? Is your name Ronaldo? <laughs> yeah, he says it is. It's not. <laughs> I don't know if any of you noticed that until yesterday or until this morning, the person who has scored the most basketball hoops, I don't even know if that's the right word, actually. I threw the thing through the, through the basketball, through the hoop. <laughs> that was me. I don't know the name of one basketball player to tell you that I'm not that basketball player. I know, I know nothing about it. Uh, who's, who's, top, who's top now? Leroy. I don't think he's a famous basketball but no, Leroy, Lincoln, Lincoln. I didn't begin with an L. I'm terrible with names. I mostly don't even know my own children's names. I'm pretty, I don't know. Maybe Link, there's a famous basketball player called Lincoln. I don't know. But if there is, I'm pretty sure he isn't actually it. Going to church, being born in a Christian family, knowing the gospel that you've heard over and over, actually, this weekend does not make you a Christian. I hope this is not a shock to any of you. But maybe it is. The Bible just does not tell us that stuff we do, no matter how good we are at it, is what matters. You can read your Bible every day. You can say your prayers every night. You can go to church every week. You can serve in a soup kitchen. Be kind to all your friends at school. Be a good sportsman. That's all lovely. But it, it isn't enough. It isn't really anything. It's just stuff. That gospel is not a story about us. We read the Bible and we think it's all about us. That gospel is a story about him, about what he does, about his mercy. And it demands a response. Just knowing that knowing that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough. It demands a response. Saying, yes, Jesus, not only do I believe but I want you to be in charge of my life. And I am pretty sure that there are people here who have never actually said that. Who maybe go to church every week. Maybe your parents think you're Christians. Maybe your friends think you're Christians because you look like you are. And maybe yesterday when Chris said, come and kneel, you knew that you needed... But how embarrassing when all your friends think you're already a Christian and have always been. Awkward. The gospel demands a response. Lastly, why? Why? Why does it matter?
She's now being nice. She's holding up, Joe, yay. <laughs> Why does it matter? The whole one big story about one simple plan. God's plan to dwell with us, to live with us. It starts in the Garden of Eden. God creating people to live with. Things go a bit wrong. Sin gets in the way. But he doesn't give up. Right through the Bible, we have this great big narrative of God wanting to dwell with his people in a temple, in a pillar of fire and cloud. He appears in a burning bush, reaching out, wanting this relationship with us. And then Jesus comes and walks on the earth. Pretty cool. How cool would it have been to be one of Jesus' actual disciples face to face with him? To be one of those 12, to, or be in that wider group of people following him around, literally hearing his teaching face to face. I think that would have been really, really cool. And then he dies. But he rises again. And they're like, yes, he's back. Do you know, then Jesus says something that is, I think, one of the most shocking things in the Bible. He says to his disciples, it is better for me to go. What? I've wrestled with that for years. I've been a Christian, Christian for a really long time. I've wrestled with that for years. How can it have been better for Jesus to go? Wouldn't it have been better if he'd have just stayed? Wouldn't I like it better if he was here by my side right now, face to face? He said it's better if he goes. Why? So he can send his Holy Spirit to live in us. I used to think that doesn't feel better. I did. I used to think that doesn't feel better. It feels like it would be better if he was with me. And then I just had this revelation one day. If Jesus was here present in this room right now, that would be, physically, I mean, that would be really cool. But if he was in his physical body, he could only actually be in one place at a time. That would be really cool for all of us right now, but only one of us would get to take him home with us. What about the rest? What if he didn't pick me? It's actually better that Jesus went so that we can receive the Holy Spirit, so that he can walk with us every day, so that he can dwell in us. Why? Why? So that we can display him. This story is not about us. It's about him. When we become the dwelling place of God, we get to take God with us wherever we go. This question of who you are It's a really simple one. You're the dwelling place of God. You are Christ on earth. That's what the church is. That's what we are together, the church. We're the dwelling place of God. When you go to school, you take God to school. That's who you are. That's who you are. You go home, you take God back into your home. Wherever you are, you get to take Jesus 
And do you know what's even more amazing? You don't just get to take him inside, you get to show him. You are transformed by his work in your life. That's who you are. You are transformed people. You are image bearers of Christ. When people look at you, they see him. When people look at you, they actually see him. Do you believe that? It's really hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. When people look at you, they see him. He shines out. You are different because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. You don't facing life on your own. You are taking Jesus with you wherever you go. And it's even better than that. Because he speaks to you. He guides you just as if he was there by your side. God speaks to you. Do you know, if you are a Christian, you can hear God. He speaks to you. I know it's true because he already called you. That's why you're a Christian. You've already heard his voice. We make things really complicated sometimes when they're not. The answer to the question, who you are, is that you are God's gift to this world. You're the ones he chose to adopt because he wanted you to display him to the generations. He wants you to show people who he is. You, right now, just as you are. Could you come back up? Helen's going to play. Alan's just going to play for us for a minute. And I just want you to think... What I've said is actually a really serious thing. If you are the ones that God has chosen to display Jesus to the world, then how you live your lives really matters. Some of you make a decision tonight to let Jesus be in charge. Some of you lived your lives looking like you're Christians, but you've never really given your heart to him. You've never really said yes to him. And in a minute while we're playing, we're maybe going to sing a song, I think. I think we're going to sing a song. And while we sing, I would like three groups of people to come forwards some of you have been Christians for a really long time but have never really understood that you are adopted by God in the way that I'm describing Or maybe you've understood it, but you've not really been living it. Maybe you are a little bit like I was when I was 18. 
knew it, but you weren't really living it. There's stuff going on in your life, that, or life with your friends, the way you're living your life with people around you isn't really displaying Jesus. And some of you need to just say, God, I, I want to display you. I want to display you for who you are. That some of you maybe look really like you are displaying Jesus and have never really let him be in charge of your life. And this is an opportunity for you also to come forward. Do you know, no one's going to know. No one's going to know what you're responding to. This is between you and God. issue in your heart. chosen and adopted and loved and already know Jesus and already for him and already run in the race but you just want more you want more of that empowerment from the Holy Spirit you want more of what God's got for you you're just hungry you're just hungry to be filled to receive from him God wants to meet every single one of you tonight. He wants your lives to display him in a new way. And as we are just going to, I think we're just going to sing a song and worship. And I just want you to maybe worship with it. No, you can have your eyes open. Okay? You have to have your eyes open if you're going to sing. Wait, you have to see the words. But when you're ready... Just come forwards if you would like to be prayed for. Come forwards if you want to really know that God loves you, that he's adopted you, that he's chosen you. Come forwards if you want, yes, I feel like I missed that opportunity last night. Matt had a word, didn't he, about somebody hiding, like peeping out. And I think some of you know that that is you. Or if you just want to receive more of God so that you can live that empowered life. Let's stand up.